Are you looking to sharpen your command and leadership skills? The 2024 Blue Card Hazard Zone Conference is coming back to the Sharonville Convention Center in Cincinnati, Ohio, September 30th through October 4th. Immerse yourself in five days of targeted command education and leadership training at the 2024 Blue Card Hazard Zone Conference. This is your opportunity to recharge your command skills and stay at the forefront of incident command best practices. This year, we've added a certification lab, September 30th through October 2nd. Also added a May Day workshop, October 1st to October 2nd. The general conference is on October 3rd and 4th. The May Day workshop is filling up fast, and our early bird pricing of $415 each for the general conference is a limited time offer. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Register now at HazardZoneBC.com. Welcome, B-Shifters. We are glad to have you back for this very special episode of B-Shifter. We recorded this while we were attending FDIC uh, last month and uh, very fortunate to be able to sit down with Lieutenant Grant Light. Uh, Lieutenant Light is getting ready to retire from the Cincinnati Fire Department. He has over 40 years invested in the fire service, and uh, he talks about his time with Cincinnati Rescue 9, one of two heavy rescues that operates within the city of Cincinnati. Grant has had extensive experience with both USAR teams and in the training division. We talk about leadership, what it's like to be part, and I'm using my words, not Grant's, a part of an elite crew like we see on special operations teams and particularly heavy rescue teams. Um, He's just a very special leader. And uh, we get to talk about some of his leadership and uh, how he conducted himself and got to where he was in the fire service with the city of Cincinnati. Uh, The last half of the podcast, we delve in to a very unfortunate line of duty death that uh, Grant responded to back in 2015. And that is where firefighter Daryl Gordon had a mayday, uh, fell down into an elevator shaft. And unfortunately, this turned into a line of duty death. We talk about that rescue, how Grant handled that with his crew, and the aftermath of that. We are going to include in the show notes the uh, link to the NIOSH report for the Daryl Gordon line of duty death, as well as the radio traffic that we reference in this episode. Uh, Josh Bloom joins us as well as the co-host. We are glad to have you here on B-Shifter. Let's hit it. Grant, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your career, where you started and where you are right now. I started um, a long time ago. I don't want, Do we have to give dates? No. Good. We can protect that. <laughs> I started a long time ago as a, as a volunteer fireman, as a lot of people did, uh, you know, helping my community and enjoying the heck out of doing that. Um, and I, I did that at a one-station fire department in a small, um, slow community. And um, I, I progressed uh, to another department where I felt like I had reached the top of the world because I moved to a two-station volunteer fire department. So I was like, I had doubled my capacity, 100% improvement on my capabilities. So it was, it was great. Um, those years were awesome. I loved them. And um, I learned a lot. There's a lot of good people. It was a combination department, the second department I went to. And so it was just some great, 
I would say they raised me. I was a young kid and these uh, grown men took me under their wing and taught me a lot about firefighting and a lot about life. So uh, that was great. They kind of, kind of moved me along in my, and my world. And then I, um, I had a real job for a long time that just kept me into the volunteer and part-time world. And then at some point, um, oddly enough, the American Disabilities Act went into effect and there was an opportunity for me because I was over the age of, of getting um, a full-time job in most departments because they had age limitations. And so when that hit, it was like a little window where I had an opportunity and I was able to get on the Cincinnati Fire Department, which was awesome to me. I always wanted to be on a bigger city fire department. I just thought there was more opportunity there. So I did that and then um, did 27 years there and I'm getting ready to retire. So I'm I'm kind of working my way out the door. And you were on the one of the rescues for a long period of time here at the, the Yeah, end. I was uh I we um we had one heavy rescue in Cincinnati and then um I want to say 94 or 6, I can't remember. I think it was 96. Two th- or yeah, 96 we we took a truck company out of service and turned it into a second heavy rescue. And so I um was able to become a part of that as that got transitioned in and then I stayed there for the rest of my career. For those of us who um, are on smaller departments that don't have, <laughs> so in in a in a larger city, urban kind of city like Cincinnati, what is the responsibility of a heavy rescue? What what do you guys do compared to the rest of the companies? So, um, in a lot of places, um, so we one of those have in Cincinnati, um, one of those goes on every uh, reported fire. So whether it's a still alarm, one alarm, however that goes out originally, they they get dispatched along with it. And I think the best way to describe, um. You use it's it's usually a um a, a a more seasoned crew and um and uh, they play uh cleanup they back cleanup so the chief gets there and he says hey I need another line because he's short for whatever reason up here and we'll go pull a line do what you want if if we get there and there's no direction then we act as a truck company generally um so uh um it's 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 a it's not it's a company that is able to act in many ways um. At the direction of the chief, so we get there and the chief's not there. Then we we had a standard procedure that we followed, and then if there was a chief there, we just walked up to him. First thing we just walk up, what do you want? And then he would say, sometimes get a line, go over here, do this. Sometimes he'd say, go inside and tell me what's going on in there. I mean, just whatever he determined, we did. How often do you guys work without a line in, in a working fire in an envelope with a work with a working fire? How often did you guys, as a rescue company, work without a line? A lot. Yeah. Yeah, a lot. Um, uh, searching above or just other areas of the building. So there was always, there was always, by the time we got there, unless it was in our first in district, just like anywhere else, there was a, a line in certain, you know, there was an engine company making a line there, getting a line there. But, but was there always a line? Like if we went to the second floor, was there always a line on the second floor? Not always. No. Um, it, but there was, there was a line in service somewhere in the building mm. kind of thing. So, um, as a as a rescue company officer, what was your talk with your people about this? I mean, you guys would sit around the kitchen table, talk about rescue, talk about what you're going to do at fires. You guys are the ones that everyone's going to count on on the fire scene because, as far as I know, like I was playing dumb about what rescues do, but I know in large fire departments, the rescue guys are the, are are the studs. They're the ones coming in, especially if you're with a company. You know, there's some companies that aren't very capable. In any system, you guys are the are the are the ones that are going to allow us to to have a little more capability. So, what would you talk about with your crew as far as whether it was rescue or just the order of the day as far as the your your operations with your company? 
I was fortunate. Um, I worked with a, a group of people, a really good group of people for a long period of time. So we all knew, we know, we knew everything about each other. I mean, it's the beauty of the fire service. You know, you, you work together, you know, live together third of your life and you know, everything about the people you work with, um, you know, not just their work capabilities, but all their, you know, home goodness, badness, whatever, all that stuff, which makes you understand um, them so much better. And, you know, when you understand people more to a core, the core of them, then, you know, you get a better idea of what they're going to do um, when things are going bad. Um, I was, again, I was very lucky to have a good group of guys who were all, you know, top performers, um, smart, which is really, you know, in, in a rescue company, you're looking for problem solvers. You know, we're, you know, I'm, and I, I was an engine guy for a long time in my career. And, you know, that's, that's, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's, you know, your job it, as hard as it is, is to get the line from the truck, from the engine to the fire. That's, that's your thing. That's your single focus. That's what you need to do. Everyone's relying on you to do that. And, and really when you do it correctly, then everybody's life gets better. The people, the firemen, you know, they can do all that. The rescue can search better. The truck companies can search better. Everyone can do their things better when the engine company does its job. So that's, you know, that's number one is them doing their job. But the rescue, um, a lot of times I always felt, you know, you, you needed thinkers, really good thinkers that could, and I hate saying out of the box, that could think through a problem, right? So there's a problem. You got to think through it and at a fast pace because things are moving fast. So um, I think that, you know, we didn't, we didn't always have a, oh, this is our plan, you know, um, you know, the daily plan kind of thing. Um, you just got to be able to adjust to what's, you know, thrown at you is really um, what makes you, um, I don't want to say better than other people, but you, that makes you um, more fluid and able to respond to weird things better when you get really good at that. The, the, um, I mean, I'm not, we're, you know, I'm not a Navy SEAL or never was, or by God, I never could be. But, you know, one, a lot of their training, if you read about them, a lot of their training is critical thinking training. They do a lot of stuff about critical thinking training because, you know, those people go to weird things, the weirdest things, weirder than we even know about. And they got to think, you know, they only have a little group of people and they, you know, they have the, the backing of the, you know, the whole military of the United States of America. But in the end, it's those dudes out there in some, some unknown place that have to work through the problem and they got like one shot at it. And so I think the fire service has a lot of, you know, parallels to that. You know, we go to a scene and we have to work through a problem quickly and we have one shot at it or things are going to go bad. And I think um, having a group of people who can think through a problem um, really well and make the right decision is, is a super um, really good thing. And I, you know, I think the, the heavy rescue people are, I don't want to say they're better at it. It's just maybe what we think about more because we get thrown different problems. We're not just an engine company line to the fire problem, which they have their own problems. They got to work through truck company, maybe searching the second floor, working on ventilation, doing their problems. But we also get some of the technical rescue stuff and all that, where that, you know, you can go take a million classes, but when you, what you see out in the real world is always different. It doesn't always line up. You go take rope classes and they have, well, here's the anchor you're going to use over here. And here's where you're going to go off the edge. You're going to go down and save, you know, pick that guy off in training. But then when you get there and it's like, well, there's no, no anchor on the wall over here. Where is that? So, you know, you got to work through, I got to find that anchor. I got to make this work. And my rope doesn't line up correctly. I've got to figure out how to overcome all these little things, but that add up to, you know, big things and making things work or not work. It's so funny you say this because it's the exact same discussion we're having at my department about thinking firefighters. Because you can't say always and never. You can't say, like, this is the way we're going to do it every time. 
because everything's different. The critical factors are different wherever we pull up. And to, to develop firefighters that can think their way through problems, that can identify survivable space, unsurvivable space, where we're going to anchor, you know, what, whatever those things are, you know, how we're going to extricate. You know, I, I talk to our company officers a lot of times after they, they're in a difficult extrication. And that's almost like more stressful than anything they, they do now. I mean, they, they'll come back and it's like, they're, I had no leverage point because of the new construction of vehicles. And it's stuff we're not talking about because when we go to the junkyard, we're, right. we're tearing apart 15-year-old cars, not brand new cars. So um, how do we develop, better develop thinking firefighters? What do we do to get people into the intelligent mode instead of in a ABC, we're always doing it this way? Well, that's a tough question. I need to write a book about that. <laughs> the, uh, I think, um, I mean, first off, some of that, a lot of that comes with just um, experience. And, you know, that's, that's one of the problems, you know, they say, whoever they are, um, say that, you know, the fire service isn't getting as many fires. And, and so the new firefighters aren't getting that experience. And, and, and so that's number one problem. You know, how do you get them that experience? Because with experience comes, you know, knowledge um, in your brain. And then I think it's also um, an officer-driven thing that we're not just going to do the same. We're not going to train that, you know, and, you know, and, and not everybody can go out and go to the burn building and train all the time they want, you know? So a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of officers that train in their firehouses. It's awesome. You know, like even engine company officers drag a hose line through their firehouse. Well, there's only so many routes they can do that through their firehouse, you know, maybe one stairwell to the second floor. So if we're going to practice that, it's always going to be the same stairwell. Um, and so, you know, that is, it's great that people do that. But at some point, you're you're just repeating the same thing over and over, kind of thing. And how do you mix that up? is is hard to do. And you know, in in the situation that people have at their fire station, their department, however they work, um, it's you know, creativity um, of training. I I mean, I was a big trainer guy. I'm always have been a big trainer guy. And I would I would come up with just the stupidest things to have a, a, my guys do. Um, in the confines of our firehouse. We like to train in our firehouse because if we get a run, we just leave everything. You go out on an outside area and train, well, you get a run. You can't really leave half your stuff out on the street somewhere. It doesn't work. So it worked well to train in our firehouse just because we could just walk away from it, shut the door, and hopefully it's all safe. Um, so it was just, it was just um, I think, networking with people of like mind is a really good thing um, to for officers because um, I, I had a network even before, and I'm not a big social media guy, but just a, a text messaging network or an email network of a group of, of people that really like to train in the technical rescue world. And so they, we would all come up with like, some guy would have an idea and it's like, Oh my God, I, I can adapt that to my fire. I can make that work. And so it's just um, getting out there and wanting to do that because you know, if you, if you come in and do the same thing every time, then you're stale. Then the guy's doing it gets stale, and they're just like, "Oh, we're gonna, oh, we're gonna pull the close to the second floor again today." Okay, great. We're gonna go out that little special window in the firehouse and do like slide and practice repelling on the same thing every time. Um, I was, you know, the, the, you know, the city would, the, the city I worked in, you know, they had a maintenance division, and they would come in and they would, um, if they were gonna change light bulbs, our ceilings in our firehouse in space were like thirty feet above the ground. So if they were gonna change light bulb, they would drop off a man lift, like the day before. And so we'd be like, ho, ho, ho. Yeah. <laughs> right. So when that guy drove away, I figured out how to make the man lift work. And so we would throw a dummy in it. And well, I would do it. I always do it when they were, they, they would, I would be late for dinner. Like, Hey, you know, dinner's ready. Okay. No problem. And then I would run out in the bay cause I knew they were all upstairs. So I, they wouldn't see it. So then I would like put a dummy in the man lift, just a hose dummy. Yeah. And I would raise it 30 feet up to the ceiling. And then after dinner, they'd walk in like, Oh, 
are you serious? Like, oh yeah, he needs to be rescued. He's stuck up there. <laughs> and you and the manless broke. Can't you can't lower it down. So they would have to figure out how to use whatever, whatever's in the firehouse to figure it out. Like figure it out. That was always my standard response. And then when they would start getting too fast, then I, if they were too good at it, I would throw in, you know, curveballs and stuff at them. But but that was just my thing. I was I was just always trying to make them figure stuff out. Because uh, I figured you can if you can do that, then on a scene when something, so you're just good at, at trying to work through a problem. Let's take a quick break. Enhance fire ground leadership with our critical thinking and strategic decision making class designed to strengthen incident command through the functions of command and foster a safer, more effective decision-making process for fire service professionals. The only critical thinking and strategic decision-making class at the Allen V. Brunacini Command Training Center in Phoenix, Arizona is May 22nd and 23rd. Sign up at bshifter.com. I, I, I was... I had a big smile when you t- started talking about the man lift in the firehouse because that's the same. <laughs> I we we've done that so many times. It's like the man lifts here. What can we do to to either yeah, create a drill or whatever? And um, yeah, I've been been there a lot. Uh, Josh, what what do you think about creating thinking firefighters? How how do we do that? How how do we? I mean, I, I totally get what Grant's saying. I mean, I think a variety of drills, keeping them thinking, keep you know, just mixing it up. What what do you do? So I think that I think our I think we need to start talking more about not all of the stuff that went good. I think we need to start spending more time talking about when things didn't go good and not only learning from our own experiences, but learning from everybody else's experiences, because that's what's going to get people thinking. When things go good, it just it, it builds comfort. Right. And, you know, it's like, oh well, that worked and we'll just do it again. And no two incidents are the same. So those factors are always changing around. So my thing about getting people to think is we need to study, not just in our own little fiefdom or in our own little world and our own little circle. We need to study what's going on with our entire industry and learning from everybody in our industry. When, when they, when they have an event that somebody's willing to share that didn't go so well, well, why didn't it go so well? And what were the contributing factors of why it didn't go so well? And, I think that's what gets people thinking. And then I think we have to stay connected to the latest information that's coming out and uh, be willing to look at what what's out there and also uh, educate our people on what does it really mean. Um, and, and the only way to really educate people on what stuff really means is uh, we can't just educate them and tell them something. I believe you have to tie some sort of training to it. They have to see it. You have to show them. Um, text on a piece of paper is text on a piece of paper. But when you can actually show somebody something or even show them somebody else's experience, uh, I think that goes a long way. And I think that creates, you know, thinking firefighters. So um, it seems the EMS field does a lot better with that than, than we do with the fire department. <laughs> and I've said this a couple times now, and it's like, you get called the chest pains and there's a protocol and they follow it and they, you know, use all the technology that's available and evaluate the patient and they treat him a certain way. And we get called to a structure fire. 
and we take this approach of we're going to do the same, same exact thing. And it's like, well, you didn't evaluate nothing. You didn't evaluate the building. You didn't even do it. You didn't do a 360 on the building. You failed to recognize the flow path. You failed to recognize where that smoke was coming from. You didn't use the thermal imaging camera that's available for you to help us uh, evaluate critical factors and, and what's really going on. Where is the fire? Where is the fire not? Where do, where do we think the fire is going? So uh, I, I think that we just need to do a better job with with learning from other people's experiences and not hanging our hat on great job. Everybody did great today. And, and and we need to celebrate those things when we do good, but we can't let that um, get our confidence too high because the next time when something's different and we take that same approach, we, we might not have the same outcome. So we got to be able to work through the problem. And I think Grant said that, you know, a bunch of times there's, everything's different. So we got to work through what is the real problem here and then figure out what's the solution, not, this is the solution and it's going to fit every problem because it, it doesn't work. It works on the, uh, I got a kitchen fire and it's only a kitchen fire and I pull up and I go through the front door and we sent 30 people there. One company solved the problem and it's like, yeah, great job. And it's like, well, <laughs> that's just that event. It's not the next event that we go to that, is the apartment building where we stretch a line and you come up short and it's like, Oh, we came up now we're short now. Now what do we need to do? We need to communicate that everybody on the fire ground needs to know, Hey, we our this line stretched short. So just FYI, we're having delay and getting water on the fire. And we know what happens with that, that that just causes that's that first contributing factor that causes other things, you know, to happen sometimes. So, and and that's one of those cases where we can learn from other people's experiences. Like, First line stretch short, the second line stretch short. And then there was, you know, you could come up with a hundred of those events that, that have happened probably in the last few years where they had problems getting water on the fire, getting a line in place, whatever. But companies continue to take the same approach, like they were getting water on the fire and it just, it just doesn't work out. So we have to learn from other people's experience and we have to train. Yeah. I, I like your EMS analogy. And, uh, you know, uh, and I to take it a step further, you know, every one of those EMS flow charts, you know, is if a, this is what you do, if B, this is what you do, but all of them the, to get to the A and the, uh, the B and all that is the, you have to, you start out every EMS run with vital signs, right? You do a quick interview and you do vital signs. And so to step that into the, into the fire service, that what you see at the building is the vital signs of the fire, right? So you shouldn't jump to A until you looked at all the vital signs and determined where you need to go, right? You know, you 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 do it in EMS every run. You know, give me a pulse ox, give me this blood pressure, give me this. Oh, that adds up. Ooh, we're in we're in flow chart B right here. That's, I see where we're going. Why can't we? Why is it? Uh, is it a? Is it, does it seem like a push sometimes to ask people to get the vital signs of the fire? And then you can make your A, B, C, D decision much better. Just like you don't walk into EMS around the front door and go, I don't know, just start down the flow path for the flow chart for B, just because I think that's what it is. No, you go, I got to do these five things real quick. Here, you get the blood pressure, you get the body, you get that, you get the pulse, you get that. And then get temperature. Okay, all right, now, yeah, B, that's where we're going. But we, but we seem for some reason to not carry that over into the fire side and say, hey, let's get the vital signs, the quick vital signs of this fire, and then we can... We can, we know which flow path to follow, not flow path, which, you know, flow chart to follow at that point. 
Well, Josh, Josh has brought this up before. We don't treat every medical call like a full arrest. Right. If, if, if we started, if we shocked every patient, <laughs> regardless of whether they were apneic and, and, you know, we would be in trouble. And, uh, and I think back, I mean, what you guys are talking about right now, every month I would sit in a QI, QA as a medic where the doctor got up and chewed ass. I mean, it was, you know, and they, they would tell you what you did right, but they'd also say on this patient and they would blank out names and you, but we all knew which run yeah, it was because everyone everyone talked about it afterwards. It's like, man, they didn't check a blood sugar on that guy. And he was that was actually the problem or or whatever. But guys didn't get hostile over that because it's the doctor. Right. I mean, that's who we're working for. We're working under his license or her license. And 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 they're telling us what to do in it. And it and it, there wasn't a lot of emotion with it. It was like, yeah, next time we'll check that blood sugar. Or next time we'll we'll uh, we'll spike a line or whatever. We'll do better. We'll do better. But man, guys get so emotional when it's fire. When we're when we're talking about a fire problem, and I don't know if it's an understanding thing. I don't know if it's a machismo thing or cultures or what. Why can't we have that same discussion? Or how? To, or or better yet, how do we facilitate that discussion? I think uh, the some people are really instituting and pushing like the the tailboard critique. Um, which is, you know, a first blush, but it's, but it's everybody kind of there. Usually they get like the officers together and, you know, what do you think happened? And, and, you know, when you start, everybody's like, oh, everything went fine, you know, but I think after you've done a few of them, then you start going, well, you know, people start admitting their, I don't want to say frailties, but you know, Hey, we could have done better here. We might've, we probably would have, should have thought more about this and, and done this. And, and I think that once that happens, um, if you have a, a good district chief that facilitates that and doesn't make it a, a jacking session just makes it a, Hey, let's just talk about it real quick. And you start getting comfortable knowing that, okay, this is just information sharing. And if we screwed up, we're not going to be in you know big trouble. He might say, Hey, yeah, you might ought to think about that, which, you know, you're right. Now I, I should think about that. Um, I think that opens up that, that quick conversation, you know, just as things are, as you, as it's fresh in your brain and, 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 you know, you, you're, once you get willing to talk about it, um, then I think it, it starts to flow a whole lot better. And I think that, that you walk away from that going, yeah, yeah, we probably should have done better than that. Maybe. And then maybe you start thinking about it more and realize how you can fix it. I think it's come up almost every month now for a few months, but I think it comes down to, again, we have to talk about the why and people need to understand the why. And I don't mean like going into a whole lot of detail for them, but, you know, when you're, when you're having that tailboard critique or talking about something and something didn't go right, it's just not like, don't ever do that again. And you're going to do this, having that discussion of why, and that's that education piece, which brings us back to the thinking firefighter, because far too often they just maybe don't even know, or they're just going off of something that they saw on some website or some video. And they think that that's, you know, indeed best practice. So when, when you have that conversation, that tailboard critique, it's like, hey, we need to think about doing whatever we're going to do, and we need to think about doing something different, but take a little time to talk about why we're going to do what we're going to do. And in some cases, you know, if things didn't go so well, then then tying it back to other places that may have had something that didn't go so well. Um, but our, our industry forever has been not really tied to any rules. The fire chief gets to decide quite frankly, how they're going to operate and what they're going to do. 
and the medical field obviously has laws and protocols and you're operating under a doctor's license. So there's kind of a little bit of teeth with that, that, you know, you're, you're, there's a law that you're supposed to follow and, and, and there's a protocol and the doctor signed off on it and it's been reviewed by all of these peers and, and the fire service, (laughs) every fire department in the United States can just do whatever they want to do. And until something happens and they're being evaluated by a group of their peers, uh, there's nothing holding anybody to anything. So it's that luck. I just hope that your luck doesn't run out. I mean, that that's, that's what it comes down to. So, but we can fix that through, through education and training. Um, when it, when it comes to education and training, what is the best kind of like grant in, in the firehouse with your companies, what would you do? You know, you did, you did the drills in the fire fire station, mm-hmm. but what was, what was kind of your ongoing routine as far as uh, keeping your people sharp? I think you keep them sharp in a couple of ways. One is you keep them sharp as a company, right? So um, just, this is going to sound really stupid, but um, like one thing we'd like in the morning, we would, you know, check your truck, right? So we had a big heavy rescue. It was a lot to check, but we always started out, um, everyone would check the stuff in the cab. And then that would start into just a morning conversation about anything. Right. So all four of us would be the two guys in back and then the driver and myself. Most of the time I was kneeling on my seat, leaning on the back of the seat because then I could see the guys in the back and he would, the driver would sit kind of the same way. And we would just have a conversation about us, you know, who's having issues, who's not having issues with just anything, you know? And I think that, that, um, number one, that brought us closer together as a company because we just, we just knew each other very, very well. And we would, we would do that, um, pretty much every day. You know, that was like the, that was the cone of silence. You know, you could say anything, you could talk about anything, never left the cab, never left the cab. And, and usually the, the engine that was next to us was doing their own thing or they were, or they were done, gone. And so it was just, you know, you had the, you know, the little cone of silence in there. And I think that that made a, a, a better company in a lot of ways because it was just us not sitting up in the kitchen with the other guys at that point that can happen later, but just us talking about us. Or what, you know, issues you had at home. or And I don't want to make, you know, say that was always it. But just whatever was going on in your life. Had a great vacation. Hey, tell us about it. You know, that kind of thing. Um, and then we would go over the truck, you know, and go around and go over everything. And like I said, there's a lot of stuff in there. And we would, you know, just take the time to do that. And then was you're doing that, you would stop and talk about something. Oh, you see this? You know, that got moved over here. Why is that over there? I don't know. Let's move it back. And, you know, whatever. But it just was, um, I think that um, was a form of team building. It went in at a higher level than just, oh, we pull the hose together or we do this together. It was a more of a, just a, just a, I don't know. I'm just building that, just building that uh, team. It's team yeah, building. the brain part of the yeah. team, right? Yeah. You know, that we are, we know everything about everybody and how you're going to react to things. And when people are having a bad day, you know, like they walk in the door. I knew somebody wasn't having a good day, right? I just knew it. You could tell, you could tell if you knew them well enough, you could tell. Um, they never said anything or whatever. And then when you were, when we would do the truck thing, then we're like, all right, what's going on? Like, what's happening? Something's not right. And so, you know, if I didn't see it, one of the other guys would see it about me or whatever. And so you would talk about it and you felt better. And then you also knew that they you feel better when you know, people know you that well, like we're together, we are one with this. And so I think that really, um, 
you know, I see a lot, of, I see companies would see companies like they come in, they do their truck check of, of whatever um, depth that they chose to go through that. And then they would just scatter, you know, some would go upstairs and have coffee. Some would go in the office, they go in here and there was just no, there was none of that, um, you know, that just higher level, like let's be one unit together. Um, and Hey, if, if it worked for them, it worked for them. You know, the, the way we did it worked for us really well. And, you know, some of this is nuanced leadership on, on expectations and just the way that you lead. Uh, some of it is what we see some departments veering towards uh, the smart bunk rooms oh, where geez. the, you know, you're, you're plugging into your Apple TV and shutting the door and you're isolated from the rest of your crew. I and mean, that's not team building. You know, how, how do we draw people back out of that? I, I don't know if you saw that going on with your place, Josh, but I, I worry about it because, I, you know, there, there are some groups that will come in. And they are great. You know, they, they, they eat together, they're training together, they work out together. You know, there's a lot of camaraderie there, a lot of team. And then I worry about the guys who come in with their TV dinners that they microwave and then take back to their rooms. And there's no interaction between the crews. And, they, and it's almost like there's something wrong here. You know, it, I love walking through the fire station door because to me, all my problems are on the other side of that door. When I walk into the fire station, it's all about the fire station. It's all about, yeah, I, I could have had a fight with my wife. I could have had a family problem. But the minute I walk through that door, it's about the fire station now. And I try, I try to instill that with people. But how, how do you guys, I mean, we, we see this, you know, in, in different places going toward the more individualistic people aren't working together and, and team building. How, how do we build that team and how do we get, how, how do we get back maybe to some of the reasons we got in the fire service too? I think it's, I agree. Um, I loved the firehouse that had the big bunk room, bunk room. Yeah. Somebody snored, everybody paid the price and all that stuff, but then you got up and screwed with them. So, you know, made it fun. Um, yeah, the, the, the cubicles and all that, I, I, I have been, I never liked that because yeah, some people just go there and they disappear all day. They're in the cubicle, you know, they're in their cubicle, they're in their cube. Huh? All right. Great. Um, and, and my guys really didn't do that very much at all. Especially during the day, we were always training. We were training, and and, and you know when you, when I say training, it wasn't like we were, you know, the training may take three hours, but some of that we just we would be halfway through something, and somebody would ask a question, and then you veer off on a conversation, and you you know you you'd have a conversation, or whatever, and then you'd get back to what you were training on. So it wasn't like we were, you know, out there with a whip, you know, <laughs> you got to do hundred reps of this, you know. It's just it was it was togetherness really. So we, the training, you know, we were going over this thing. We'd have. We have something in the shop we were taking apart and working on. And, and then, you know, we'd all kind of one, one guy may be sitting there working on the computer in the shop, but we're all together talking about stuff. Um, I, I really, I, I, I don't know how to, I, well, let me rephrase that. I didn't have to know how to fix that for my company because it just never was a problem. Um, but I saw it with other companies and I, and I don't know the answer because, you know, how, I think if you you got to start on that personal level because if 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 some if you, if you're everybody on your company likes each other, then they'll want to hang out together, right? So if they if you you know you get a new guy and you don't you can't draw him in, oh he just keeps going to his cube. You just got to work harder trying to draw him in. I think because because then you know at some point he realizes, hey these guys are cool, you know they're fun to hang out with, and maybe I'll just hang out with them as opposed to going to my cube and sitting staring at my phone. Um, I, you know, I am the old guy who's not a social media guy. You know, I know what it is. If you said Facebook, I go, oh yeah, I know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> That's about as far as it goes. <laughs> Grant, Grant's got a MySpace page. <laughs> <laughs> no. Huh. Um, 
So, so I think that, you know, um, how to draw them away from that, you know, that, you know, I mean, the, you know, those social media, you know, uh, um, things, pages, whatever. I mean, they have like PhD level scientists, many of them on staff to design their, their website, their, their thing that you're looking at to keep you there. I mean, that's, that's what they do. They have, whether people realize it or not, they have huge divisions that analyze everything you do. And then they can design just what you get to draw you in more and more and more. So, you know, a company officer is fighting against a giant mega billion dollar company with PhD level psychologists and psychiatrists and all that who are designing things to suck that person in. And so you've got to work really hard to suck them back out, Mm -hmm. you know, and and without a PhD, but, but with the whole fire service behind you um, to do that. And I think, that would, that's hard to do, but not impossible to do. I think it's easy. It's easier to say than do, but you're the company officer. You're, you're getting paid to be a boss and there's, there's a bunch of people out there that, that have, have already coined this and say this, but whatever's going on in the firehouse is going to roll over to the fire ground. So this whole thing about division in the firehouse of just do what you have to do. And then you can go off to your own little world with the bell rings, get on the fire truck and make the run that, that, that rolls out to the street because everything we do is together. We're paired up or we're working as a team and that's how we're successful. I mean, the company out working at the task level. Right. And then, you know, if we expand something and we make it, you know, more on the fire ground and we make a, t- a tactical position in the place and we got a strategic boss, it's a whole, it's a whole big team. It's everybody working together and nobody can outperform really the other. I mean, it's, 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 if the task level's failing, the strategic piece really can't fix that. So if, if, if we want it, if we want it to work in the street, then the firehouse has to look similar. It has to be a team approach relationships. I think is a huge part of it. The company officer actually being a boss, I think is critical. Um, We see it and we hear it multiple times a month when we're at different fire departments all across the country doing command training. I was, I was, I I drove the fire truck last week and this week I'm a Lieutenant riding in the front seat and I was riding in the front seat and they didn't give me anything except for my 15 years that I worked here to help me make decisions on the fire ground. That's all fine and good. What have we done to prepare that person to manage the fire house? And you know, so many things that Grant said, he knew his people when somebody came through the door and they weren't having a good day. He knew it like right away. And we're not, we're not, our industry's not talking about that either. We're not, we're not creating those those people and giving them the skills that they need to be the boss in the firehouse, which clearly rolls right out to the street. If, if the firehouse is a disaster. And when I say that, I don't mean necessarily a mess when it's a, when a firehouse is a disaster and nobody gets along and everybody goes their separate ways and you can just feel the tension there. You can expect on the fire ground that it, that it is not going to work and it's not going to work when it's just bread and butter operations. The simple, what we get away with and do every single time one line puts the fire out. It surely isn't going to work when things don't go well. And then you're trying to work through and solve problems, which uh, we've talked about that, you know, already on this, I think several times that somebody has got to be there to be the, 
the cleanup. I think Grant might have said that. I think that might be how he said that. The Somebody's got to keep all these pieces um, going together. And uh, I think the only way that we do that is it starts at the firehouse with, you know, building relationships, the boss being the boss. And that's the only way we're going to ever have success in the street. You're a coach. You're a mentor. Um, you, you, you've got to put your foot down sometimes. You, like Bruno used to say, you, you have to be the one that says no, um, but also the one that encourages. How, what, what advice do you give to somebody who's, who's looking to promote or, or a new company officer? Um, you know, there's a lot of situations. I think, um, first off, you got to realize that you are promoted, you know, and that, that is your, you know, that's your job now. You, you look for it, you asked for it, you got it kind of thing. Um, I think a lot of people get real timid. They go into a, you know, like for, for our city, you know, when you be promoted, you would go into a, you know, you get detailed out. You're just at a different firehouse every day. You know, somebody, this Lieutenant called in sick, you're taking a spot, you know, you roll in. So, you know, it's hard to walk into that and you don't know who all the players are. I mean, you literally could walk in a firehouse like, I don't, I've never seen two of these three guys here. You know, I just don't, I don't know who they are. So it's really hard to, um, to work in that situation. Or you walk in and there's, you know, the three guys there are, you know, 35 year guys and you're a, you're a lieutenant who's got six years in and then you're instantly intimidated, you know, um, you know, I, what can I tell these guys? Well, I, I don't know. Maybe you can get them to tell you some stuff, you know? You know, learn from their experiences, do it backwards, you know, sit around and talk to them and say, Hey, you know, what, what, what lieutenants did you have that you really thought were awesome, you know, and, and learn from that kind of thing. Um, it's one way, especially in a bigger city where you have those situations where you, you know, you get moved around a lot. And I, and I, you know, I was under the same boat. You walk in, you're saying, like, eh, I'm only here for a day. There's, I mean, there's not much you can do in that situation, but I think w- what you can do is, is like I said, is you can talk to some people that you get, that's an opportunity to talk to some of the more seasoned guys and like, you know, like, what do you do? What do you think? What do you see? Maybe you didn't promote. I don't know why you didn't promote, but it doesn't mean you're not smart enough to have promoted. You know, it's just, you chose not to whatever reason. Um, you, you loved what you, the house you were at and you knew if you got promoted, you'd be, wouldn't be there anymore. So you just decided, you know, to stay there. So you can, you can get a lot of good stuff from the guys who are there. If you just, if you, you know, just sit down with them and talk to them, you know, and, and say, man, what did you, what can you tell me? And then, and, and by doing that in, in a way, you also get, you get, um, they realize you're trying to learn, you know, and maybe you get a little respect from that, that you're not just coming in going, Oh, I'm, I just got promoted yesterday. I'm telling you what to do. Like, uh, that's the last thing you want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, at some point on during that day, you may fall into that mode where like, Hey, now we're on a run and things going here. And now it is, you know, with the dictatorship is now in service. A little sign goes up. The dictatorship is now in service and that's just the way it works. Sorry about your luck, but this, I'm telling you what to do and that how it works. But you know, those, those situations are, are very few and far between where it really gets to that. But, you know, if, if you go in and, you know, talk to that guy and have him tell you some of his knowledge, pull that out of, out of him, you can really kind of gain from that of, of moving around and seeing people, you know, in a smaller department, you, everybody knows everybody and all that kind of stuff. And so that's a different situation. But I think that that's one thing when you get your own company, I think you just got to set the pace and, and go like, you know, I've always found like when you, when you start training, nope. And I'm, you know, when you come in like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to, we're, we're going to train on this. Hey, everybody on the PAA, come on down. We're going to go over this. You know, we're going to train on this. And, um, you know, I was like, ah. and 99% of the time when you're done, they're like, well, that wasn't so bad. That was pretty cool. You know, that was, yeah, that was cool. You know, you know, it's like it, it, you know, to get them to get that push 
to get started is always a push. Not always, you know, my company, which is not what we did, but, but you would, it would be a push. And then when it was over, even if it was five minutes or two hours, as long as you, you know, and that two hours may have been an hour and 10 minutes of really training. And then there was other just conversations that went on, you know, it's not like, Oh, we, we're training. Wait, you can't talk about that. You can't talk about your something going on at home right now. We're in training mode. You know, you can just weave that in. And then at the end, when you get to the end, wherever that is, um, you did some training, you learned about somebody, something about somebody, you know, and you, and in the end they're like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. You know? Yeah. yeah that was fun. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't have to be a grueling three hours yeah. of training. I mean, right. that, that, the whole concept of every day is a training day is you, you do it in pieces yeah. and, and you do it in a way that people want to look forward to it. And when you get to self-actualize, that's very satisfying. I mean, you're, you're doing stuff that's part of your job. And when you're successful doing it, even in training, it, it you, you come away with that and it's a good experience. What, what do you think, Josh, as far as developing company officers? What advice would you give to to somebody who's a new officer? Well, I think I think that development starts, you know, as soon as we hire them. And I think we can all do a better job preparing people for that position. There has to be some sort of preparation that brings them to the point of, you, you, OK, you're you, now you're ready to take this promotional test. And if you if you score well enough and you get promoted, you're 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 in that beginning stage of being a boss. And you have this basic toolbox that that has prepared you for, for what you're about to go into so that they're not just trying to figure it out on their own. So I, I think there has to be, you know, some sort of a, some sort of a process in place for that, but we can't expect somebody to do something that we haven't trained them to do. And we're, we're really good at that. We're really good at throwing people in spots and just trying to say, figure it out. And that, that seldom works. It, it, it usually results in a bunch of problems coming back. And we all experience that, right? Everybody, everybody has been promoted and put into the position. It's like, well, figure it out. It's like, well, it would have been nice to have something on the front end of that <clears throat> to help us figure it out. And it's not just, <clears throat> I think it's education, training, and experience. It, it's all of that. You have to put all of that together. So you were the lieutenant at a line duty death event. And we're involved firsthand with the rescue operation. <clears throat> and that audio went all across the country. And I've had a gazillion people ask me, like, who was that guy? Because, like, holy shit, he was, like, calm, under control. Like, he was making decisions. So just uh, no, <clears throat> just like that piece, like, we, we talked about, like, in the firehouse and all the stuff that you did at the firehouse and your company and trusting them and all of that. So now, now you, you guys were at that uh, the, at the event, Daryl Gordon, Daryl Gordon fire, fire yeah. where Daryl Gordon passed away. Yeah. So the company officer perspective, like right there in the middle of it, like how how did you manage that, and what was that like inside the building? And then you know we we have talked about it in the past that like it it was, I mean really the incident was winding down a little bit, but then it went crazy and there was really no control but from your perspective company officer just inside like how, how did all that line up so the daryl gordon fire was basically two events rolled up into one right so there was a well second floor kitchen fire the building was on a it was a, it was a big multifamily apartment building it was on a built on a slope so at the back of that thing you were at ground level but it was actually second anyway it was a kitchen fire that extended into um the whole apartment 
Um, and then there was just a lot of, uh, of things that just went south. I mean, a lot of things that went south. Um, that just added up to it becoming a greater alarm fire. Um, you know, in theory, Daryl Gordon never should have been at that fire, right? He, he got there, I think, on the – he was dis- his company was dispatched on the second alarm. I think it went to four alarms. Um, they came from a long way, so he got there, you know, way deep into the operation and uh, had, you know, it just been a kitchen fire where a line went in and knocked it out, one room fire, and he never – he would have slept through the night maybe. Who knows? Um, so, you know, it, the, the front end piece being um, the fire that things didn't go right in um, – caused the back end piece to happen, you know, facilitated it. Let's call it, let's say that facilitated, allowed it to get big enough that he ended up coming to the scene. And then the, then his incident happened. Um, all right. So, so the, the fire was winding down, you know, basically, um, a lot of things, you know, finally, you know, came together as they always do, you know, nothing keeps burning for too long, but you know, at this fire. So, um, we, uh, my company, we, we moved through the building, um, we checked the floor, the apartment above real quick. And then we were told to um, start doing like searches, you know, just do primary searches on the other floors. So there was a lot of smoke throughout the building, all that kind of stuff. People were on balconies saying they need to be rescued, all that kind of stuff. So, um, so that, you know, so we were just going down the hallway and I, and I, and I get, you know, it's been a while and I get confused. But we were on the floor going down hallways, you know, just knocking on doors and forcing the word was force the doors. Okay. You know, that's, you know, yes. Hey, how, how do you want to do this? Force the doors. Okay. So we were forcing doors and checking apartments real quick. Um, during that process, there was just some screaming on the radio. So, so during that process, um, it was some, for, some, for whatever reason, there was a belief that there was somebody on the, on the elevator and this apartment had a small um, elevator that went, you know, up, you know, to every floor, obviously. And uh, it had, had outward swinging doors. So it was a, uh, they didn't like, they weren't normal elevators. They were swing doors. They swung out. Um, so we were actually at the time we were working on trying to force, we didn't know where the elevator was or we were on a floor and we just like, well, let's just force this one. Like it might be here. And we can look down and look up and, and see where it is. You know, well, then we'll go to that floor and we'll force door and see if somebody's on. So the, the guy, the chief that was responsible for that said, Hey, I want you guys to check the elevator. Got it. We got it. We'll take care of it. Um, the way the door was, the, the swing door was designed. It was the, the latching system was way at the top. And at this point, we were tired. My company, we had done a lot and we were getting tired. So we were trying to force that door and the way it was inset in the wall, you couldn't do it normally. So we had to use two Halligan tools and then an ax to like pound one in, bring it around. And then we had to pound another one in above it. And then we just working our way up. And in the process of doing that, we heard this, um, it was commotion on the radio, you know, that, that something had happened. And I thought I heard mayday, mayday, um, that kind of thing. And I wasn't really sure. It was just kind of like, what was that? Um, and so we kind of stopped. We're standing there, and then and then it came out again. And and I thought the guy said that the made a fireman fell down the staircase. This is, that's what I thought I heard. And so we were we were like literally, you know, in in our minds at that point, seconds away from getting this elevator door to pop. And so you know, we, you're supposed to you know you get a mayday, you know, in our system, you're supposed to complete the task you're doing, and then you know do whatever whatever they tell you to do. But so I was kind of like. Eh. I'm thinking like it's in the stairwell. I mean, I've been in the stairwell. There's no, you know, did he just fall down as you heard at the bottom of a set of stairs? Like how bad could this be? Just, you know, my quick thought from what I thought I heard. 
So I said, hey, let's just finish this because we're right there. We're right there. Let's just finish this. We'll pop the door open. We'll look and see if the elevator's there. And if it's below us, we'll just know because we're going to have to come back and do this if the guy just fell down the staircase, something, you know, if he's not really hurt, um, then we'll, we'll know, you know, we'll, we'll know where we're going to go to do that. You know, like we're, we're right here. We're almost done. So we popped the door, looked in. The elevator was like one floor below us. So that's where it is. Boom. Shut, let the door. And so we'll say, well, let's go to that staircase. Um, so we, so as we got closer to this, we're heading toward the stairwell to see which there was two stairwells where, you know, how could we help? What, what was going on? We weren't, we, you know, like I said, the fire's winding down. The fire's pretty much out at this point. Um, so, you know, it's not like, you know, we were abandoning in our position. Um, and we're a heavy rescue company. We're supposed to be involved in that. So, um, so as we were going there, then it, they said, um, you know, they said again, and then they said fell down the elevator shaft. And so, and it was just like this, my mind just kind of went like, well, how could that be? Like we were just, we, we literally just opened that door and looked down to the top of the elevator and there's nobody there. Like I, 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 I don't get it. You know, like if he fell down the elevator shaft, he's going to be on top of the elevator. Um, so we, and, and, you know, we just looked, so it was like, well, let's go back and, and do it again. You know? So we went back, forced the door now, obviously at a greater speed, forced the door, blah, blah, blah. Realized what had happened. He had, he had kind of gone past the elevator. Um, so then we decided to go down underneath. Did he pass all the way past the elevator or not? And maybe I'm getting way too far down in the weeds. So we, so we went down to the first floor and we popped the door down there and, and realized that he was, you know, kind of hung up between floors. And, and at that point, um, so I, you know, I came out, I, I crawled out of the uh, elevator pit because I jumped down the pit, ran over the wall, looked up. Okay, I know what's going on here. And so I, I, I jumped out of the pit. And then I just, I was, I literally, I just stopped because I was like, I got to think, you know, like I got a, I got a really short amount of time here to try to figure this out. What's the best way to make this work? Not that I'm going to be the only guy, you know, making this happen, but I got to make a, you know, I got to make a plan in my mind that may change, but I got to have a starting point. So I, you know, I kind of ran through my head, you know, what are elevators made of the side walls, this stuff. Cause he's between the side wall and the wall of the, of the elevator shaft. And, you know, kind of a, a quick rundown. And then um, I told my guys, you know, hey, because we were all right there. I was like, this is what I here's This is what we need to get. We need this, this, this. Go get it. I'm going to go upstairs and see what's going on. Um, and so I went to the floor. And there were other firemen who had, you know, gotten in, in there at the, ahead of me. And there was a, just a – it was it was a mass of people trying to save a guy's life, right? Um, a guy they know, a guy they love. A guy that's part of their team, part of the big team. So um, you can imagine it was all hands on deck. But it was, um, I don't want to say it was totally controlled. Let's put it that way. I mean, it was just everybody doing what they could do. Um, and at that point, um, this hallway was full because it was, you know, those hallway and apartment complex all around that elevator thing. And so then that's when the dictatorship came out. And it was like, you know, because I'm not that guy who's always like, you know, get the fuck out of my way, um, you know, kind of thing. You know, but at that point it was, you know, I was like, Hey, fuck out of my way. I'm coming in. And, you know, I guess they could have said no, but they didn't, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, cause you know what you it just, you know, they didn't. So we got in there and uh, started doing what we thought was best. There was already guys in there with axes trying to chop the back wall, of the elevator out, all that kind of stuff. And we just worked through getting that down. And I think, I think for me just, I mean, I literally, I was, I climbed out of the pit. I was on my, on my hands and knees and I was just like, I just stopped. And I was just like, I got to, I got to figure this out. It's just, it just was like, I have to take a moment here because it's very easy to just to run off, you know, and, and, 
and uh, do whatever. And I thought, I got to do better than do whatever. You know, I got to make a plan because my guys are looking at me. They got to go out and get stuff. I choose that that's what we need, which is what I did. I then looked up and there was a chief officer um, walking down the hallway. And it was just kind of one of those things that, um, and I, I basically looked at him and said, hey, here's what I need you to do. I need you to get some people down here and get some ladders down in this pit. You know, it's a bad spot. You're under the elevator, but get on this pit because I didn't know if he was just caught by a, a thread, would he then fall? It was a, it would have been a long fall further down to the bottom of the pit. You know, like he was like two floors up. So it would have been, he would have fallen out. So I'm like, you need to get ladders and get some dudes, get some ladders and put them up in there and get people up there. And maybe like, as dumb as it sounds, try to catch him. If he, if he falls past here, you know, we, we got to finish, you know, we got to think about the whole, the whole worldly view of this, that he may fall on down further. I don't know what's got him caught. And I just, and I looked at him and I'm like, are you going to, and I just said that that's what you need to do. And I just took off. And he, and he never came back and came after me about that. <laughs> I don't even, I mean, I was told later that that happened, that that did happen. So good, good on him. You know, like I asked him to do something told and, and he did it, you know? Um, but you know, I, and I was trying to, you know, it was kind of part of my plan was to get that taken care of. Um, and then we just worked through the problem up in the, in the, uh, in the elevator itself. Um, I think at that point, I think I took my mask and threw it off at that point. Cause I still had my tank on everything. I just threw that down. Cause I knew I, I didn't need that. And, um, and then, uh, went up and worked through the problem up there as best we could. Um, it's a, it's a, a mind bending experience. I mean, it truly is like it, 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 it truly is when you, when you hear that, um, like I said, I heard it and I thought I heard wrong, but I, what my assumed you know, somebody tripped and fell down the stairs, you know, not the end of the world, stay calm. And then, um, and then when I heard it again and we, you know, it just, it was like this big rush. But when I saw him, and I knew where he was. That's when it was like, man, I gotta, I gotta get my shit together here because, because this is going to be out of control, right? There's a lot of people here. Cause at this point, the fire is a four alarm fire. Um, and that was more for Sursa, but whatever it was, there was four alarm fire. Can't take that back. Um, and I just knew there was going to be, and I, and I could already hear people pounding on the elevator and doing stuff. And I was like, we just got, we got to do the best we can to try to get some control on this. And, and me being as calm as I could be is one way to do that, right? I can only control myself and my, I, and I don't want to say control my guys, but my guys are my guys and I can get them to be calm and, and we're going to go take care of this. Listening to the radio traffic, you were, you were in very much, it seems like in charge of the rescue. Did anyone designate you that, or did you just take it? Like you're saying, um, there was a district chief who was, um, in charge, I think I was actually in charge, but he was there with us, you know? So, um, I wasn't, I don't know. I was the only heavy rescue officer that was there doing that. Um, uh, Daryl Gordon had been on a heavy rescue that day. Um, and his guys were working above the elevator, I guess. I don't, I'm not sure. I'm you know, it's like one of those things like you're at a, you're at a fire and you're like, Oh, I know everything that happened. And it's like, no, you really know what you did. Maybe a few people around you, but you have no idea what happens at a fire in the big global picture. Um, I, I wasn't really, I think kind of in the elevator and what was going on there, I guess I was in charge because I just made, I just, I, nobody designated me that I just was in, we're going to, we're going to get this done and try to do it 
and for lack of a better term, as calmly and as best and fast as we can. You know? how, how do you get them out finally? Um, so we basically, the, the back wall of the elevator, which he was between the concrete block wall and the back wall of the elevator, turned out, which um, was covered, sheathed in from mica, but then it was a really thick, I almost say one inch, it was really thick particle board. And so we just started breaking it off and break, we could break little pieces, little pieces off. Um, and then we got to a point, and then at that point, um, when I, when I thought about it, when I was kneeling down, I, I told my guys get, um, battery sawzalls and, um, air chisel because I didn't know if it was a stainless steel elevator. So the sawzalls might or might not have worked that. So I thought we can, you know, chisel through the, use the air chisel to, you know, rip off the stainless steel. So that, cause I didn't know, I, I, I told them to bring that. So air bottles and that. So they got there with a the sawzall. So then at some point I was running a sawzall and I had a guy, um, basically had, he, I don't know what he stood on, but he was between the wall and the, and the, in that space. And then he was telling me if I could cut or not, because I can't see. And I know there's one of our guys right there and I'm, his head's there, his whole body's there. So he was saying, yes, uh, no, you got to go this way or you got to go that way and working our way down. And then did that on both sides. And then we use the big handle that you lean against when you get in, you lean against it's, it's like, well, it's a rub rail, but it's, you know, it's offset from the back of the elevator and the sides, but you could grab onto it. So it was like a big handle. And then like four of us grabbed that and we were able to snap that off much lower. And, um, we had, we, we before we got it broke off, we, there were some people on top with some webbing and ropes and we put it around like the harness and they tried to pull and we tried, we could reach in and grab them and pull, but he wasn't going anywhere. He was just, we was just in there. Um, and then, um, once we were able to break that rail off, then he was more exposed and we were able to get him out. Yeah. you know, the old hindsight's 2020, all that kind of stuff. But um, I don't think there was a faster way we were going to make that happen. Um, I think, um, I don't know. Uh, I, you know, you always should do something. You can, you got 2020 vision when you're looking back, but I mean, I just think the, I don't know. I, I, I've never really taken the time to look at it that way. I mean, I've looked at like the, we should have probably um, put some sort of shore under the elevator because we had a lot. I mean, like, you know, it's probably only rated for like three or four people. And we probably had like, I don't know, I'm exaggerating greatly, but 30 or 40 people, you know, I'm yeah. like, there was guys on top of it. There was guys inside of it. There was guys underneath it. And we had a lot of people in a lot of bad spaces, you know, in a, you know, in a lot of dangerous spaces. Um, none of them, including myself cared that we were in dangerous or bad spaces. Um, it just, you know, you're that, you know, that never crossed my mind, but looking back, I'm like, ah, eh, we probably, but that would have taken time. Right. That would have taken a lot. And we had to, we had to go out and get some shoring stuff and try to stick a shoring thing up four and a half and you know that would have taken a lot of time and and that wasn't going to happen you know time was of the essence so i don't i don't know i don't i don't know i don't know i know i know i don't know what it would have done different to actually try to get him out i think we did the best we could with what was dealt us kind of thing there wasn't there's not some whiz bang tool that would have made it 10 times faster so what would you do or what would you say to company officers going back to that what we were talking about a few moments ago to prepare somebody to deal with the May day and deal with the situation that you had. Um, well, you just got to, you got to be, you first, you got to be able to control yourself. I mean, literally that's, that's the biggest thing in any company officer thing. You got to be able to control yourself. I mean, if you can't control yourself, you can't control anybody else. Right. You got to be able to control yourself. And um, I don't want to say that takes practice, but with experience, gives you that baseline that you're like, 
you know, it is, you know, it's not really an emergency. And I say this and people say it, you know, it's not an emergency for us and we're just going to work. Right. If you can keep that, that, that is a, that's a, that's a fact, right? No, I shouldn't get excited at a fire. It's a fire. I'm, it's my career. I've trained for, been to fires, been to training fire. I mean, like done all that stuff. That shouldn't be something to get excited about. I mean, it's cool and it's fun and I love it, but it shouldn't be something that I get excited is in the bad word excited. But like, oh yeah, we're going to fire. Yeah, that's exciting. But the, the I'm not controlling myself. That shouldn't happen. I, and it's easy to say. I don't know why I've always been able to do it, but I've always have. It's just, I don't know. Somebody somewhere taught me something. I don't know. But, but, that's the biggest thing. You got to control yourself first. And once you do that and, 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 um, and you, um, show that you don't get crazy excited about things, then the people that you work with realize that you're not a screamer and you're not crazy excited. And then they'll be like, yeah, he's, he's, he's cool. He's going to work. They'll, I think, you know, you'd have to ask them, but they'll believe in you that we're, it's all going to work out. This is going to, this is going to be okay. No matter what it is, we're going to, we're going to work through it. We're not going to be excited about it. We're going to work through it. At you know, and 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 so once they believe in you, and I hope they do, people will call in and say, This isn't a call in, thank God. <laughs> say they don't. But you know, once they believe that you, you know, you're in you, then 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 they're calm. Then you're now you're a, a team of calm and you can and that spreads out, you know, and then they, you know, then other people that you work with are like, Yeah, oh, that guy, he's he never yells at anything. He's he's pretty cool, he figures it out, you know, kind of thing. I just think that, you know, that uh that trust that people have in you is something that um, they they gain over time by watching you. When you're on when you're on a fire, you're on a fire scene where you're always being watched by everybody. I'm watching everybody. They're watching everybody, and not just it's just like how do they present themselves? How do they act? How do they do this? You know who the screamers are in your fire department. You know who the guys who go batshit crazy are, and you're the guys who are calm, and you're the guys who work their asses off. You know the guys who hide. You know you know you know all. You know them all, right? So they're doing the same thing, evaluating you everybody's evaluating you as you're doing your job, you know? And if you're, if you're calm and always calm, then they go, Oh, that's they're in their mind. Like, Oh yeah. He, they know the screamer and they know the hider and they know the worker and they know that. And they know the calm guy over there. So if you fall in that little pile, then that's good. It's contagious. Yeah. That calmness is contagious. Right. You know, it's just, I think that, I think that would be my advice is to, is to work at, you know, or however that works out for you work at controlling yourself and then the rest will follow. You know, all of it will follow. That leads to everyone else being calmer and then better action. Um, you know, when that whole thing was, when that whole, when, when, when Daryl Gordon came out of, of, of a situation, um, I mean, it was like a light switch for me because um, we'd been there since the, that started out as a still alarm for a, a alarm drop. And so it had been a long road to hoe to get to that point in that fire. And it literally in, and when he came out, um, the way the elevator was set up, I just backed in the corner and just put my hand out and held the door open. And I was, I mean, I was done. It was like, I don't know how I was going at whatever level I was going at, but the second he was free, I was at, my tank was at zero. I mean, I was done. My guys were done. We were done. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do anything after. Oh, I remember um, they were trying to get him in a stoke section and I just, I pulled a piece of webbing out, threw it out to him to help him strap him in before they took off with him. I mean, I was like, I'm not, I'm done. I'm out. There's a million guys here. They got it. Hopefully they got a plan. Um, and then um, I gathered my guys up and I learned this from, um, from uh, the Oscar Armstrong fire, which I was not at. I, w- I was at, but I was after he had already been removed and gone. 
Uh, I was in training at the time. And so and long story short, I was at that fire, but not involved in that fire. Um, so what I learned was I, I took them first off. I just gathered them up and like, and we just went in somebody's apartment. Like we just, you know, let's just go in here and talk for a little while. Like, and the first thing I did was, and I learned this, like I said, from the Oscar Arm Fires, I said, any, does any, anybody, either of you guys got a phone? Somebody got a phone. One guy's like, yeah, I got my phone's in my pocket. Like, okay, call your wife. Just tell her you're fine. That's all you need to do. Just tell her you're fine. Then hand it to him, hand it to him, hand it to me. Just call home, say I'm fine. I'll explain later. I'm fine. And do that because it's going to hit the news as soon as they ain't fire for it. They know you're working. They know you're on that rescue. They know where there's a fire on the east side. They know you're going to be at a fire on the east side. They're going to freak out. So it's, it's going to happen. And now it happens in like, you know, in a blink of an eye because of social media, you know? So, so I'm like, that was the, my biggest priority was them and their family. Well, I guess let me say us, the four of us and their families was my biggest at that point priority. Like call and just say, I'm fine. I'll explain later. And then hand it to him, hand it to him, hand it to me. And then we did that. Um, and I said, you know, th- that's number one. Everybody's done that. Okay, so now that and that end of our lives, which is an important end of your life, is taken care of, right? They're going to wonder, well, they're going to see at some point. They're, now they're up, and they're going to be like, oh, shit. You know, turn on the news, and they're going to go firefighter, since they firefighter fatality probably. And, and so they're going to go like, oh, he's fine, right? My guy's fine. I heard his voice. Talked to him. He's fine. So that that fixes that, which then fixes my guys' um, uh, worry about their family, thinking it's them. I mean, because that's you know, if you're there, you're like, oh shit, my family see that, they're going to worry about. It. So that so that was my biggest priority for my guys, and I think that was a good thing to do because that also just takes a big burden off of them worrying about their family, and then we can worry about our family, which is the four of us, you know. And so we sat in there and talked for a while, and I was just like, just chill out. We're done. Just chill out. And, and it was interesting because one of my guys, um, a guy from another company came in and, uh, one of my guys, and he told me about this way later. I didn't know about, I didn't even realize it was happening because it, it just, time is weird. Um, but they went out on the balcony of that thing. And those two went out there and just talked through a lot of stuff. And he, to this day says that that guy, like, I don't want to say saved him, but just like, I'll never, he says, I'll never forget going out there with him. And we just, talk through some things and he goes, it was, it was awesome. I'll, I'll, I, I owe him forever for that. And I, I'll never forget it. And, and there's a lot of little things, nuances like that, that people do that, you know, um, if you step back and like, Oh, that was kind of weird, but you know, like, it's like, it's what worked for those two guys. We worked great. Cause I mean, like he still to this day, if you ask him, he'll talk about it. It's like, Oh yeah, he, he got my mind right. You know, cause it's a, it's a, it's a traumatic thing. It is, it is like I said, you you do not want in any way, shape, or form to be involved in in a line of duty death at all. I mean, it is it is a if you're there for the fire, it is a it's a mind bending experience. It is just crazy. Um just hard. It's hard. Um and then, you know, and then then, you know, after that, just the whole, you know, everybody who wasn't there knows what you could have done to, you know, it's just it's a fire department, yeah. right? It, it, but it's, uh, yeah, if you, if you can avoid that, I would avoid that at all costs. So did you guys, how, how soon did you guys go back into service after, you know, you're gassed, but you did a, a, a debrief with everyone and talked, talked yeah, with my guys. Yeah. And then what happened? Um, 
dumb. We were at somehow, for some reason, I can't remember why. I went, well, so I went out. I told my guy, stay here. Just stay here. I'm, I'm going to go get some water or something. So I went out, and then um, I actually ran into the the guys who were on our sister um, heavy rescue that Daryl Gordon had been on that day. And I sat, I sat down with them. They were out in the parking lot, um, just kneeling down together. And I, and I sat down with them and talked to them for a little while. Um, just trying to, I mean, we know them very well. We train with them a lot. You know, they're, you know, of the fire companies, you know, in the city, they're probably the closest one just because we, we do the same thing. We train with them a lot on our unit. We were very, we were really close. I talked to them for a while and not really, not like what happened kind of talk, just like, how are you, you know, just like probably listen more than talk. And then I got the waters and I went back up to where the, my guys were. And we just sat up there for a while. And then somehow we got assigned to just keep people out of the space. So we just sat in this room and just people would come to the hallway, like out, like, this is a big deal. This is going to be a big deal investigation out. We became the out guys. Nope. I know what you want to do. Just out kind of thing. Um, cause that's what we were told to do. So that's what we did. And then finally where we, where our company was parked, there was no chance of us getting out. And it was, um, we weren't going to get relieved at the scene. So it was just like, we had to wait for all these other people to leave before we could leave. If that made sense. So, we we left. So when we left, um, I also learned from the Daryl Gordon or from Oscar Armstrong. Um, so I went back and I knew, you know, they said, Hey, you're going to have to type up a reporter thing. And I, I think I took like three hours and it was like five pages and there's still stuff. And I thought about it and thought about it. And literally this is only hours old. And yet, I mean, I'm like, okay, what did we do next? What did we do next? You know? And I still miss stuff. Cause then people later are like, hell in the audio it says you did this and like you didn't have it in your report. And it wasn't like knocking me. They just said, and I was like, I totally forgot we did that. It would have been nice to listen to the audio so I could remember what we did or whatever. But you know, yeah, but it was just like, till that guy said that I had totally, we went, when we had gone, we had moved to the floor above and checked the apartment above to see if there was extension. And I had radioed that out. Um, and like, I never wrote it in anything. And I was just like, how did I not remember that? From the time that Daryl Gordon went missing to the May Day being called, uh, how how long was that period of time? Not long. They, they, so, soon after he fell in the elevator shaft. Yeah, it was. They they, they called it right yeah. away. There wasn't a, there was he wasn't missing for long. No, 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 no. And I don't I don't know that time so, but it was very quick. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking to us, man. Been good. Sure. We'll talk to you again. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And that wraps up this episode of B-Shifter. If you like what you heard, please give us a good rating on whatever app you're listening to this on. And if you dig it, please subscribe as well. That way you don't miss an episode of B-Shifter. We appreciate you listening. Until next time, thanks and please be safe.